Hello, welcome to Skill Check for Gaming Wellbeing podcast from YMCA Exeter, presented to you by uh, Andy and Zach. And Zach, I have an apology to make already so far. Oh dear, oh dear. What have you done now? Well, I just feel... I was running yesterday. I was... There was some exercise involved and... But that's only unusual because you don't normally run around. You could be like a marathon runner and you could run all the time and that might not be an issue. That That, that is true. I, I could be a marathon runner and I'm sure that in the multiverse there is a, a universe where I am a marathon runner. That's, that is not me. If, if, if the multiverse does indeed exist, then yeah, statistically there will be a you that enjoys running. Indeed, indeed. So I just figured I should get the apology out of the way at the top because there may well be more rambling than usual from my direction today. That's if I can get words out at all. Mm. Well, I guess I'll go first then with games we have been playing. However, I am going to cheat because it's not a game I've played yet, but it's a game I'm going to be playing over over this kind of Jeez. next few days. And I know it's cheating, but Jeez. I wanted to give it a shout out because it deserves a shout out. Um, okay. Because because it's it's a small indie game made by a handful of guys, all previously worked in the gaming industry before they moved to a small studio to make the, this, this game. Um, and this game is called The Ascent. And it just came out on uh, Xbox and uh, the Microsoft Store on PC. It is an exclusive, so PlayStation guys, sorry, unfortunately, you will have to get one of those other platforms to play it. However, it is also available on Game Pass. So that is the bonus. And basically, The Ascent is a uh, top-down twin-stick shooter action RPG set in a dystopian world uh, cyberpunk themed um, and I can't wait to give it a try and, and it's it's got very positive reviews so far from what I can see um, it looks the environments just look out of this world from like a small indie studio like that it looks gorgeous and I am fortunate fortunate enough to be able to play in 4k so I will be trying this game over the next few days in 4K, 60 frames, on the Xbox Series X, and I can't wait to see how good this game looks. It looks, it's just, all the publicity for it, it just looks fantastic. The environments look off the charts, crazy good. Um, and then, yeah, the gameplay is fast, it's visceral, it's very like, yeah, just waves of enemies, you're just shooting in all directions, explosions and all sorts going on, and it does have role-playing uh, RPG mechanics in there as well, so like you kind of upgrade things and you can up spec your character into different builds and things. Um, it's not super long, so I think they've said about 20 hours if you just go to the main story, and then there's obviously side content you can do. So you're probably talking maybe somewhere between 30 and 40 hours for a playthrough. So it's not super long, it won't take you long to do it, especially if you just do the main story. Um, but I think they also want you to play multiple times and try different builds and different things. 
Um, you can also play online with with, four, with three other people, so it's up to four player co-op as well. And I imagine a game like this with four players all shooting and loads of enemies coming at you and bullets all over the place, especially with it being a top-down twin-stick shooter. I imagine it's just absolute mayhem, which sounds absolutely fantastic. So um, that is going to be my game shout-out, The Ascent. It looks really sure. cool. I'm not sure where where I saw it this morning. It was in that kind of early morning. I've just grabbed my phone. I'm just scrolling mindlessly on my phone, doing exactly what you're not meant to be doing first thing in the morning. I came across uh, an article basically saying, yeah, if you want to explore a cyberpunk uh, setting, The Ascent is the game to play, not cyberpunk. Yeah, I mean, it, for, for the style of game it is, for the world that they built and the graphic style they went for, like you, you, you'd be more expectant of a game like this to be like maybe pixel art or maybe kind of less realistic. But they've gone full on. Let's make it look as real and as vibrant as possible. Let's make the most of the technology that the Xbox Series X has, and the Xbox Series S and PC. It's got ray tracing. Like it's, I just can't wait. I can't wait to just give it a go. So today, this week at least, I'm doing a shout out for a game I will be playing rather than a game I have played because I Fair fully enough. intend to play this game. Fair enough. I am going to go for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which nice. is very much a basic platformer in many ways uh, from what I've played so far. In that you've got a cutesy character, you're running around, jumping onto platforms, trying to find keys to go into the next bit, fighting. That's so far at least one big, fairly scary wolf monster thing. And so on one hand, I kind of wanted to shout it out because it was fun and it was nice. Uh, but also, whilst I was playing it, I couldn't help but think of the conversation we had last week, Zach, about Sonic the Hedgehog and the future of Sonic and where Sonic could go in the future. And so I'm playing this game and I'm like, they're thinking, this game is on one hand, a 2D platformer. It's as classic mm. as a video game as you could possibly get. But the production, the emotion that, uh, just comes from this game reminds me more of almost a Pixar movie, uh, almost like sort of very Disney esque in its approach. In that there are cutscenes, but the cutscenes are still in the two D kind of art form. There are a few characters in there. There's a very much a definite emotive story to be told, and I'm like. Sega, look in this direction, please. Because <laughs> I'm sure you could do something with Sonic the Hedgehog along these lines. Because this is the second uh, Ori platform uh, game from Microsoft, which is available on the Switch as well. And it's good. It's, yeah. If you want a platformer, check out the uh, Ori games, is I guess what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I think that's maybe why they delayed it, is because I think the days when Mario and Sonic dominated that side-scrolling platform genre, there wasn't really much else to compare it to, so you could they could kind of just do the same old, same old, and they'd sell a load of games because of the IP. Whereas I think mm. there are a lot of really, really good platformers out there now. Um, you can't just pump out the same stuff you've been doing and expect that everyone will just buy it because it's the only option or because of the of the of because of how well known you are mm. in that. Like I imagine they've gone back they've probably just looked at what's out there and gone, We're nowhere near any of this stuff. We need to go back and spend more time thinking about what we're gonna do because ultimately like in today's day and age when you have companies putting out games of that quality, uh, that look that good with a really strong story to go on go alongside it. You can't mm. ship out the same old Sonic game and hope that people are going to buy it. So, it's it's good. It's good that there's so many games out. It's good that gaming has kind of grown and grown and grown. Um, and that now, you know, people, developers especially, even ones that think that they're, that they're kind of, you know, it's money in the bank if they play out a game. No, not necessarily. Like, if there's better things out there, gamers will, will go in other directions, I guess. And I guess that's a reason to kind of know a little bit about games and gaming and what's and it's just so you know what it is you're potentially paying out for because on one hand you know you've got one of the latest sonic games on the uh, switch that full price costs around the 30 pound mark just over 30 pounds uh orion the will of wisp uh full price 24.99 from the nintendo store and you know if you Look out for it on a sale. I'm sure it'll be a lot cheaper as well. Well, it's on Game Pass as well, so if you have yeah that, you you can play on Game Pass. So cool. So uh, gaming news this week. What have we got? Excuse me, whilst I just kind of stretch my back a bit. I feel old. Gaming news. He says, whilst stretching his back out of it. Um, okay. Have you heard about what EA have uh, said? I mean, I definitely am one of those people wherever I hear the word EA in the gaming context, I just tend to ignore whatever they say. Because um, as far as like gaming companies go and gaming producers and kind of dev studios go, they are not always they don't have the greatest reputation for, for for how they make games or monetize their games or what they think about games so I imagine um, being the cynic in the room now obviously that I'm probably going to disagree with this the statements that are about to follow <laughs> so EA I've said there's no there's really no such thing as gamers um, so this is from, oh, where is it? It's basically an EA exec have, uh, has suggested that the gamer term itself is outdated, uh, saying that not many people really use it to describe themselves, uh, that uh, they often get asked about how brands can partner with gaming or talk to gamers, but there's really no such thing as gamers at all, and understanding that will be crucial. And we go on to say, this just smacks of like how out of touch EA actually is with reality. 
Like, to be honest, like, if I'm being super, super honest with it, okay, we might not all want to call ourselves gamers, but mm. the idea that they don't need to talk to gamers or people that play video games when they're making video games just smacks of how much EA is out of touch with, like, reality when it comes to making games in general and how they... Mon- the, every, the amount of, like, negative press articles you could find out there just by searching, searching to Google EA. And I guarantee you the top... EA controversies or EA in gaming, like, I guarantee you, like... It will be filled with negative stories about how EA have treated ge- like people that play video games. If we're not going to call them gamers, um, and this just smacks of like some marketing person in a room somewhere that's gone, yeah, we don't we don't really care about them. We're just going to do what we want, and then if we make money, great. So, I guess two points really um, to add to this is that. Uh, the executive has uh, went on to add that there's no best practice rules to how to engage with these niche, multifaceted and passionate communities. Trying to target gamers is like saying you're targeting people who like music or people who breathe in air. And if we're being kind, if we're being kind, it almost sounds like she's suggesting, well, to talk about targeting gamers that's such a wide range of interests who who you're looking at but she also talks about it being a niche interest so i'm like what is she talking about yeah exactly she, she can't on the one hand compare she's already stapled her kind of thoughts to the mass where she's gone oh it's a very niche thing still it's still very kind of you know it's not huge and then gone on to say oh it's as big as music which is arguably huge so it's like you need to she needs to decide is is gaming small and niche in which in which point then it would be totally okay calling them gamers because if it's a small thing and it's niche then gamers would be a fine term because it's a small community so you can attribute a name to it equally on the flip side if she's claiming that it's as big as music which is huge like who doesn't listen to music if she's claiming that there's as many games as there are people that listen to music then surely it warrants a conversation with them when it comes to <laughs> Just like she said, oh, I don't talk about talk to them. It's just such a small group. How do you do that? And then she's gone. Oh no, it's a massive group actually. It's as much as you know. It just it. And this this is and this is the problem with big companies like EA is that these are the people that make decisions about how to make games and what decisions they should put in about microtransactions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As someone that you know, she's like from the marketing part of EA. Mm. And this was I think we talked about it a few weeks ago. Is that just so out of touch with like the actual reality of it what how i can't see if you're making a game i can't see the downside to talk to putting the game in a few people's hands that play games all the time and getting their opinion i can't ever see why that would ever be a bad thing and she's suggesting here that no we don't need to engage them or talk to them in fact it would be really difficult to because they're really niche and massive at the same time and that doesn't make any sense it just it doesn't hang it just doesn't sit sensibly yeah. anywhere like it just seems to not really hold true and then that's quite concerning considering these are the people that are making the ultimately the not so much the games in and of themselves but the the way that they monetize those games so the marketing department's probably more responsible for are we going to put microtransactions in our game how much are we going to charge for them and what what are we taking out of the game to then charge for in the future these are those people so these are the people that affect ultimately the hard work of game development, the game devs that have put their heart and soul into spending years and years making a game to only see the marketing department come in and monetize their game in ways that isn't good, which EA is famous for. You don't have to think mm-hmm. back too far to see how Battlefront 2 
had to basically remove loot boxes from their game because they put key core game mechanics behind loot boxes. So players that had money and spent loads of money on the game could upgrade their characters in a competitive online game like Battle Star Wars Battle, Battlefront. And the the amount of like just negative fallout from that was just massive to the point where now people that's what people remember about EA. That's the, that's the memory that people have. Like, I guess. Yeah. I guess if we're to bring a slightly different example is Ready Player One. Thinking more of a movie, I can definitely remember the emotions from the movie, I have to admit, than the book, or at least this particular example is, is the kind of bad guys in Ready Player One wanting to basically monetize the virtual reality world. And I'm fairly certain there was a a point in there, there was comments made in there about putting adverts up in as many places as possible. And I have to admit, I thought about EA. Mm. I thought it was almost a direct kind of poke. Yeah. In their direction. And it would have been it would have been more it would have been more current that kind of whole fallout then when that film came out as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it quite coincided, but I de- but just the idea that that's where your brain goes. Like if I'm trying to think of a negative example of loot boxes, my brain always goes straight to EA, like mm-hmm. by default, because that was it was huge at the time and, and the fallout was quite public and I think they got taken to court as well by like actual places rather than just like you know they, and and it's and it's actually changed like laws in countries have changed because of what EA did with loot boxes in that specific game because it became such a huge thing and so now like loot boxes random loot boxes are banned in a lot of countries in Europe um, so you can't have them in your game in those countries otherwise your game will just not exist there they will you you'll not be able to sell your game there um, and this all stemmed from that and it just goes to show that I think how some of the higher ups in some of these companies that li- that kind of are the money behind the games, right? Because these aren't the game devs, these aren't the people that make the actual games, these are the kind of companies that kind of publish them, that kind of pay companies to make the games and then publish them by putting them out there in the world and, and helping game companies to do that. These are those people and it's just concerning that these people seem to be so out of touch with um, I think the rea- at least on, on face value the reality of like I guess whenever you're selling a product, why would you? Why? It just seems weird to me that they're, they're making that statement of like, "Oh, we don't need to talk to gamers about games." I just don't understand that. Like, I imagine most companies out there that make a product talk to you, like send demos of whatever it is that they're making out to people they think will use it to review it and to give them feedback on it. I imagine that's such a big part of like, why is gaming different? The rest of the world does it, but then when it comes to gaming, oh, we're just going to make it, put it out there, and people, gamers are stupid enough to buy anything, so, you know, it doesn't really matter. And it's just like, that, it's just so insulting, right? It's, mm. I can't be called a gamer, I can't, I can't resonate as a gamer, and, because that doesn't exist, by the way, according to EA, and they're going to do whatever they want and then just expect me to be stupid enough to spend my money on it. That's basically what they're saying. So... Uh, the reporter for Metro, where I've kind of ripped this article from, uh, has gone on to say that given the n- negative connotations, it's certainly true that some people don't like being called gamers. But then often that's simply because they don't like to admit to themselves that they play as much as they do. I don't know if that's that's actually the case. I think it's more a lack of understanding of 
what being a gamer is and the fact that you know a gamer is just someone who likes playing video games you know and wherever that video game is i think the term itself is wide and broad enough to be all-encompassing and this arguably there are definitely kind of negative connotations with that as a catchphrase you know if we talk about gamers people kind of have this impression of people who kind of sit in a basement somewhere playing computer games all day that's not true no and i said that was very outdated especially with incredibly outdated become more portable and more community community orientated and more social than they ever have been before um mm. i would say that, that is that is a very and the thing is this is this is going to be me taking a swipe at, at metro now because because <laughs> i can and i'm here and i'm on a podcast why not, why not? um they're not renowned for their rigorous journalism oh. um just in fact just yesterday um they, they got a lot of heat because they posted a very very negative review for the ascent the game i already talked about today uh and because of the way metacritic works it gives you a percentage so if you're a small indie game that's only got a small amount of reviews on metacritic one really bad review can drag all the good ones down and make it look mm-hmm. like the game is doing less well and the surprising absolutely no one the review that was dragging the score down was the metro review uh, and if you read it it sounds like mm-hmm. they gave the game to someone who'd never played a video game in their entire life before or was just out to say controversial things about something and move on with their lives like they're not renowned for their rigorous gaming journalism and i would say that this article is kind of they're a bit clickbaity let's just put it that way in terms of like how they talk about things anyway um and this metro article feels a little bit like they were trying to get people to they were trying to be more controversial than it possibly was and they were trying to get people to read it and i'm not sure how rooted in reality it actually is which you know yeah that's my take that's my hot take I couldn't be completely wrong and I, I am okay with that and I'm okay that if people think that that is not right because that's ultimately, at this point anyway, my impression of um, the gaming content that Metro puts together uh, in general. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm being very distracted by the SN review on <laughs> Metro and... Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's strange because it's so different from all the other reviews from yeah. other really reputable gaming companies. And then there's a Metro one right at the bottom, which is just so different from all the others. And you're thinking, did they play the game? Did they play the same game as everyone else played? Did they get someone who knows about gaming to even play it? Like, what has gone on here? Because it is so different. But the problem is, with Metacritic and how it works and how it works out its percentage, is that that one low review does far more damage than all the good ones that they've got. Because it drags, <laughs> the, it drags the overall percentage down. It's a immediate impression system, right? from this review is that they got someone to review it who doesn't like cyberpunk as a genre genre yeah. and yeah. so therefore colored the whole review with their negative feelings about yeah. cyberpunk and it's a cyberpunk game yeah. what do you do it's like getting someone and it reads as if they've got someone who doesn't like star wars to review a star wars game yeah how do you become objective at that point <laughs> like you don't right <laughs> i mean you wouldn't send someone in to review a star a new star wars film 
who does not like yeah, lightsabers, Jedi, the Sith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, arguably, you don't have to send someone who loves it. But I feel like if you send someone that hates it, then that that review is never going to be a fair shake of the stick. Exactly. Bearing in mind, twenty people made this game. Like I think we we have to like it. You can't even if your head's going well. Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. That we didn't really, like. Even if your head goes there a little bit as you review or you think about it, and, review, and of course mine does as well. Like you got to remember, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven was made by CDPR, who are a massive game mm. development company at this point. The Ascent arguably looks better in some cases graphically than Cyberpunk. Holds together, plays well, actually runs, very few bugs, and and was made by 20 people. Like I feel like when reviewers are reviewing games, you have to take that into consideration. Like how many people made this game? How long has it taken them? Like that has to have a bearing on then what what's in front of you. Yes, okay, some of the mechanics might not be as deep as you expect to find in a role-playing game, but that's because 20 people made it. Like for the, fact the twenty people, that only twenty people made it is amazing yeah. and shows that if people Completely. are interested in making computer games, there is a definite kind of space, there's definite chance for people to be involved in a game that gets people talking. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important in to if you're if you like if you if you only see it, the metro review for the ascent, you're not gonna play it. And that's why I'm sad, and that's why that's why it's upsetting. Because if you go on to Metacritic and look at the other reviews, all the other ones are far, far more positive. And actually, like the the vibe in general and social media about this game is that it's it's a fantastic game and should play it, especially when you think if you've got Game Pass, because you're ultimately then playing paying paying nothing for the game. Inverted commas because obviously you pay the subscription to Game Pass, but. But why not give it a fair shake of the stick? And game, this is what Game Pass allows Microsoft to do. This company has been able to put together this game, but only a development team of like 20 people because Microsoft has gone to them and said, we will pay you money up front to put it on Game Pass. So you don't have to worry about sales. And to think that a, a review like the Metro guys have done can kill a series or a game like this, if Game Pass didn't exist, if they were solely basing it on sales, and that, that that would have lost in sales ultimately, especially when it it sits so far outside of what everyone else is saying about the game. Sorry. From a professional point of view, like we're we're obviously allowed our own personal opinions on whether we like the game or not, but professionally within the reviewing circle, the you know the people that get paid to review games, theirs is just the only bad one. It's like I don't know. On the hey, subject, that's my rant. On on the subject of. Game Pass. Excuse me. <coughs> and <coughs> on the subject of Game Pass. Yes. And the subject of our upset, let's say, at the Metro. According to the Metro, Game Pass subscribers spend 50% more on games than non-subscribers, says Microsoft. Oh, they've got a source this time. That's good. They've actually done some research. That's fantastic. It's just a seamless segue into another article. I mean, that that ultimately doesn't surprise me. I feel like it's another Metro article that's just like, let's point out the obvious. Or not, as the case may be. Yeah, well... If you're paying... if you if you ultimately if you've got Game Pass you're or and then you you you're passionate about gaming you're already going to be spending more on games because the people that don't have Game Pass 
aren't spending money on Game Pass and are only buying games. So, of course, people that have Game Pass are spending more money on games than people that don't because they, they're adding that Game Pass total money to the whatever they're... It's a weird statement to make. And I guess Microsoft wanted to make it because it, it, it sounds good for them. That it, like, it just shows that it's in a really good spot. And that's great. But, of course, people that have Game Pass are spending more on games because, ultimately, not every game comes out on Game Pass. So. <laughs> Well, it's I guess it's weird, loyalty like, to that platform, but... isn't it? It's loyalty to that launcher yeah. if you're on a PC. It's... And ultimately, if you if you have a subscription to Game Pass, that suggests that you're also more uh, kind of... kind of um, You probably have more disposable income, right? If you're, if you're affording yourself a subscription to Game Pass, which is essentially a luxury item, right, to be able to subscribe to something like that, then the chances are you're probably then going to spend money on games because you have it. So yeah. it, it, it seems a bit of a weird statement to make. I, I get why they want to make it because they they don't they don't want to give the impression that you know people just buy Game Pass and that's it and they don't ever spend any money on games. Um, but I think Game Pass allows for both, and I think it's just it's encouraging for Microsoft. I think because I think that it shows that like Game Pass works. Like it it isn't at the detriment of either. It's so, like Game Pass isn't losing out because people are obviously you know doing both people will buy games and have game pass and equally people that have game pass won't then not buy any other games so i think they're trying to make a bigger statement about gaming's in a really good spot right now and people will do both of those things mm. um but even the article says like it's, it's it the, the figures and the facts don't quite hang together and they couldn't quite figure out what statement microsoft was trying to make with it um, but I like the, at the end they also draw the comparison with, with PlayStation but, but then go on to say themselves like it, the way that the gaming landscape has changed it, it's almost to a place now where you can't really compare Sony and Microsoft anymore in terms of consoles because of what Microsoft are doing with the xCloud and Game Pass that like it just it's just so different now like the, the, what, what their model of like how they want to deliver games to people is just so different that it, it, you can't really compare numbers and facts and figures anymore because it's Different, two different, two very different ways of game, game delivery mm. within gaming. So it's fascinating. I think Sony have obviously picked the model that they feel like they want to stick with, which is to invest in one-off cinematic big gaming experiences, which they can charge premium prices for. Yeah. And Microsoft are like, we just want to get as many games in as many ways in as many people's hands as possible. And so it's very different because ultimately the things like Game Pass are going to flourish on Microsoft because they want to, you know, they've purchased a lot of game studios. They want to put more and more games on Game Pass. All their first party games will be going out on Game Pass. And then all the first party Sony games will be exclusive and mm. only be able to get it there and will cost top dollar. So it's, it's just got the complete opposite. Whereas, you know, you can get access to those same games on Xbox free on Game Pass day one, or you can get a PlayStation and pay 70 quid a time. So, and and that was a coincidentally creaky chair it, in in my background. <laughs> Not a sound effect I put in for timing value. But yeah, it all comes down to budget at the end of the day, doesn't it? You know, if you've got the yeah. if you've got like a low amount of disposable income per month versus um, the ability to have that higher disposable income every now and then and yeah so i guess it's, fasc that it's fascinating that in, in both those cases both of those people have probably have game pass the people with mm -hmm. less money 
probably have Game Pass because there's more value for them in it because yeah. they have to pay less and they get access to lots of games. And the people that have more disposable income for gaming probably have Game Pass just because Game Pass is a really good thing. Yeah. And it gives you access to loads of games. So it's one of those things where I think for Game Pass at least anyway, it's a win-win situation for Microsoft that, that Game Pass is both the value for money and the thing that people just have if they have lots of money. Which is Welcome which is the Game Pass which, podcast which, from Yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> which is crazy to me. And the thing is, I think that they they are aware that that's what they've done, mm. even if they didn't really mean to do it at, at the beginning. And now, because of how good Game Pass is for those that have a restricted budget and those of people that have lots of like lots of disposable income for gaming, because it's so good for both those groups, that the amount of positive free publicity that they get from both those groups now, mm. without having to pay anyone any money, game we mention Game Pass all the time. There's a reason we mention Game Pass all the time, and it isn't because you know we're paid by microsoft to talk about game pass it's because game pass is genuinely as a as, as some as a as a podcast that offers advice on gaming game pass remains and probably will continue to remain one of the best gaming deals out there period okay. for for new games for old games for for how many games for how many different games you get access to to all the exclusive games you'll get moving forward from microsoft like there is just nothing else like it and and, I, and, I, and it's it's fascinating how Microsoft has kind of almost it seems almost accidental that they happened upon this, and I imagine it isn't. I imagine there's probably they've probably been planning this for years and years and years and been doing lots of research and thoughts about it. Probably talking to gamers, you know, something that EA obviously doesn't do because gamers don't exist. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. It has changed the gaming landscape, and I think it's changed it for the better. And it'll be fascinating to see how this all plays out over the next couple of years, whether Sony decides that actually maybe they should do something similar or whether they just double down on what they're going to do. And then like what games are going to appear on Game Pass, because I think it's fascinating every month to see what comes to it, um, whether it's old games getting put on Game Pass or whether it's new games coming to Game Pass. It's always fascinating to see what they update it with. And then bearing in mind that on the back of this as well, like a lot of the Game Pass games come to xCloud and see how that kind of keeps growing. and how that keeps transforming and I think as as infrastructure in countries gets better and internet connections get better and that technology gets better something like xCloud is only going to grow and grow and become bigger so that's exciting too I guess um for interests of I don't know it's not it's not necessarily balance at all um but if you are someone with a switch and you've heard us talking about xCloud and subscription services I would personally uh, recommend to at least get some version of the Nintendo uh, online uh, deal, not deal, uh, subscription. Uh, it gives you access to mostly just playing games online, um, but it also gives you access to kind of the more classic Nintendo games. Plus it does occasionally give you uh, free game trials for a week, week and a half or so. Uh, at the time that this will be released, uh, there will be, I believe, Two Point Hospital will still be available for uh, so as a game trial, which is a hospital a hospital simulation game, which is one of those games which is bigger than big, and uh, I'm definitely intending on uh, giving it a tryout um, before I pay out real money for it. Amazing. I've just looked at the uh, the old clock, and it's probably time we got a bit. I I say we. I got a bit ranty today, so that means the time's probably gone on longer than 
It should. Um, so I'm mentally asleep. It's fine. It <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, this has been Skillcheck Podcast, the gaming and well-being podcast from YMCA Exeter. I've been Zach, and he's been Andy. As always, you can find us on all good podcast platforms. Just search Skillcheck Podcast, and you will find us. You can also find us. Uh, through a link on the YMCA Exeter homepage, which is ymcaexeter.org.uk. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that through social media, at YMCA Exeter on Instagram and Twitter. And we also have an email address if you want to email us, response at ymcaexeter.org.uk. We'll get you there. This has been Skillcheck Podcast for this week, and we will see you all next time.